0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, welcome to Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist, Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday, the 25th of March, 2021.
0: So we focus a lot on the acute phase of COVID-19, the really bad part where people can be very sick. But of course, a really high proportion of people who get COVID have prolonged symptoms that go on for months after their infection. And it's something that we don't really understand well. But Norman, there's a new paper that's come out that surveyed people with so-called long COVID and tried to sort of figure out what the most common symptoms are.
1: That's right. And this is, yet again, a preprint, so it hasn't been peer-reviewed. So this is not... The one thing we're going to say about this one is that it's not what you'd call a population-based study. So a population-based study would survey thousands of people with COVID, find those who had symptoms so that you could find the incidence of that, and then describe what long COVID was in more detail. Obviously, that's quite hard to do. It's certainly expensive, so by going to people who've actually got long COVID already, it's a selected group. That's so. I just want to state that because that's a problem with this. But nonetheless, it's a lot of people. It's over five thousand people belonging to um, a, a survivors group in the United States. So on average, the people reported twenty-one symptoms each, and up to ninety-three different symptoms. So you know this is a really broad-based phenomenon, but it does have a pattern. Uh, which is really all of its own. Fatigue, that's the dominant feeling that people have. Headache is the next commonest symptom. Shortness of breath, around about the same as the the headache. Difficulty concentrating. So those are all up there, roughly the same with a cough so if you look at if you look at the incidents, fatigue and headache, fatigue is way out there in front of the others, but the rest are all equally virtually equally common headache, shortness of breath, difficulty concentrating cough, changed sense of taste and diarrhea, plus muscle or body aches.
0: And I was really interested to see that one of the most uh, one of the complaints that a lot of the um, participants reported was changing symptoms that they didn't have a lot of predictability about them.
1: No, but clearly there there is a commonality and there is a pattern to it. And you, you've you had lots of people reporting this. One of the senior medical officials in the UK has had long COVID and describes it in great detail. So this is, this is an issue. The, the good news that's, that's coming through anecdotally at the moment is that when you're immunized, it seems to go away. It's likely, and it's not in this paper, so this is a descriptive paper of what's going on. So this is, you know, it is a major issue. It's likely that the mechanism here is, if it's been fixed up by the vaccine, and that's the big if, it's likely that it's something, uh, that it's chemicals called cytokines in the blood that are causing this. And cytokines are, if you like, the messengers, the immune messengers that keep the immune system going. And they're, you know, they're, they're one family of these cytokines are called the interferons, for example. Now, interferons are given... Well, they used to be given for hepatitis C, they're given sometimes in cancer, and they can make you feel pretty lousy. So there are symptoms like this, and it could be that you've got a pattern of cytokines produced by the immune response to COVID-19. Who knows, but the, you know, this, takes a time, this takes time to go away, because they, these people have had these symptoms for quite some time.
0: So the pattern seems to be that maybe your immune response is kind of lingering, but then perhaps the thinking is that once the vaccine does that, it's sort of like a a rebooting of your immune response to COVID and that's what seems to maybe, maybe is clearing it up.
1: Yeah, that would be the theory.
0: So while we're talking about immunity and vaccines, let's talk about AstraZeneca. And in the US, it it had some good news the other day saying that it had a 79% efficacy, but that was then contradicted within hours.
1: Yeah, this is an extraordinary intervention. And this may have changed by the time people listen to this CoronaCast. But at the time of recording, what happened was the Independent Monitoring Committee Put out an announcement saying that they effectively saying that they felt that Astra was misleading on the data, um, was selectively quoting from earlier results, which didn't have a complete um, accrual of the patients in the trial, and there were issues about testing. And they, they the implication was that Astra knew that the independent monitoring committee was unhappy about the way they were interpreting the results. Astra knew about that and yet came out with an uh, an announcement that 79% efficacy. Astra denies that and saying that they have given in the full data. And the independent monitoring committee said they thought rather than 79% that it might have been in the high 60s. So still not a huge difference between what Astra was saying. And it's more like Astra's performance that we know about here in Australia, which is that if you have two full doses A month apart, you get a 62% efficacy. But the issue here is just full transparency. And we just can't afford to have a vaccine company not saying the right thing, even if the the net difference is fairly minor. It doesn't have a big impact on Australia because we've got the data. It's more public perception of the Astra vaccine, which they, they just don't need any more negative stuff going on.
0: So let's just stick with Astra for a little bit longer because there was an important meeting the other night between with the government's advisory group on immunisation and the potential link to, between the vaccine and clots.
1: Yeah, Tuesday night, there was a meeting with TGA, ATAGI, and the, uh, the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation and some haematologists, uh, I understand. And they, they were looking at the data, and John Skerritt on news breakfast yesterday said that uh, they still felt on, on balance that this was not linked to the the vaccine but he slightly contradicted himself but also said that it's rare one in a million what that means effectively is that the TGA is not changing its advice on this that it's a rare side effect and that it's uh, it's unrelated so that's this that that's what Came, that's what came out of that. I mean and still in Scandinavia you've got some reservations uh, again at the time of recording this coronacast where they're, they're still not happy. Norwegian scientists and German scientists have found the same phenomenon uh, which are these antibodies to the platelets so there's a little bit of nervousness around for women under 55.
0: So speaking of women under 55 we're still getting lots of questions about this and Jody's saying should women that are under 55 and on the pill consider going off it um she's questioning whether there's a link there between the pill and this condition
1: Yeah that's pro- that's my fault my bad if I've confused people with that All I was saying is that if you look at who what which group of people Prior to COVID vaccines coming along, which group of people, you know, if we have been talking two years ago, which group of people get cerebral venous, cerebral venous thrombosis? It's actually younger women, and it's often associated with the pill. But this is a different situation, but it's the same age group. And as far as we know, the relationship there's no particular relationship with the pale. It's just that it's the same group of women. There's still a lot we don't know about this group of women from the Scandinavians and the Germans. Do they have a gene for clotting? Is, is it a pill phenomenon that's just been noticed coincidentally with the, uh, in association with the vaccine? There's still a long way to go on this one, which is why I presume the TGA has said, look, at the moment, there's no sign of, uh, of a link. And
0: we're also getting other good news from our audience. Gareth says that um, he's gotten his AstraZeneca jab. Well, he says, hi, big double T and Dr. Quocker S. <laughs> hi, Gareth. Uh, he's never felt better informed when getting a vaccine. Thanks so much. Yesterday, I got my AstraZeneca jab courtesy of the WA Essential Services Volunteers Program through our local hospital. Booking was easy, all very smooth. 12 hours later, he had a temperature that lasted a couple of hours. But otherwise, he says, I have more after effects from yesterday's workout.
1: That's great news, Gareth, and thanks for that. And yes, particularly the Astra vaccine does give you some reaction in the first twenty-four hours or so. And just going back to that clotting, clotting, that clotting story, uh, that's those are symptoms that emerge between four and sixteen days after the vaccine. So it's not in the first day. So if you're getting a headache. In the first day or two, that's normal with the Astro jab and nothing to do with, even if it's a, even if it's a headache, it's nothing to do with uh, this clotting episode and not anything to panic about.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. But of course, you can always send in questions to us, abc.net.au slash Coronacast and mention Coronacast so that we can find it.
1: And, you know, if you get in today, you can uh, get a question in for Quickfire Friday. And we're getting a lot of questions on vaccines, which we're only too happy to answer. But I'm sure you've got lots of other questions on other air, uh, other issues around COVID. Can quakers transmit it, for example? I will not give you that answer today. I'll give you the opportunity of asking it. But, you know, seriously, send in all your questions about COVID-19. We will have a look at the evidence and get back to you on air. See you then.